As the teen tycoon of rock, I'd like to hear them, and I'm sure you would too. Leave him alone, Miss Elsa. You bad luck to him. My name's crazy, honey. What's yours? Bernice! What's the boogeyman? Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. movies podcast my name is anthony king the show's all about author and critic and historian danny perry and his cult movies books what's gonna happen here is we're gonna discuss a movie the last movie from danny's original cult movies book and uh then we're gonna offer up some pairing recommendations and it just so happens as as has been the tradition for the past three seasons um Lindsay is joining me, Lindsay Wilkins. How are you, Lindsay? Hello, how's it going? Great, I'm very excited about this. I think it's um, sort of kismet that uh, the last movie that closes out the the first half of the podcast is actually the last movie that Danny writes about in his book. So it's- I did not, oh! Very yeah, because cool. it's, you know, it's all in alphabetical order. So it's kind of cool how that worked out. This is movie 100 that we're doing here on Cult Movies. After five seasons, we will have, uh, after this episode, we will have completed book number one. But, uh, Lindsay, uh, I could not uh, be happier to be celebrating this occasion with you. Um, uh, you want to share about what's going on over at Schlock and Awe? Yeah, Schlock and Awe is still kicking, still going. I'm very surprised, actually. I thought it would have burnt out by now, but uh, maybe that will happen soon. No, we're just uh, doing double features all the time. Uh, we've got, yeah, time this comes out, we'll be starting our Leone series, uh, Sergio, Sergio Leone, um, and which is going to be, well, I was had a blast recording those, so it was all lots of the, uh, Leone zoom shots and uh, panning of of a landscape, but um, it was it was a lot of fun to dig into those westerns. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, we, uh, you know, everybody's been following along, seeing what you've been watching. So, I think uh, you know we all kind of guessed what was coming up here. So this is this is very exciting. Um, well, let's get right into this, Lindsay. Why don't you go ahead and introduce what we're going to be talking about this week to wrap things up? It's a little movie. Um, I'm not sure anyone's actually heard of this. It's really independent. It is Victor Fleming's The Wizard of Oz from 1939. Only one of the most influential movies ever made that made it into Danny Perry's cult movie book. Uh, it, you know, I, I, I would still consider this a cult movie because when it has screenings, um, you know, say here in town, I mean, you have the crazy 
Wizard of Oz people come out for this. We've had special screenings like where the uh, like the and I think they're they're probably dead now, but it was like the last two living munchkins had come two or three had come and, and done like a Q and a and like, I mean, it was like thousands of people turned out for this thing. So, uh, as classic and as well known as the wizard of Oz is, I still considered a cult movie just because I, you know, I've met some of these crazy wizard of Oz cultists that I'm like, Oh, good for you. You know, I'm happy you're into something, but goodness. I mean, like they're as crazy as, you know, Star Wars people or or Marvel people. <laughs> or Yes. Or even people who go see The Room once a month uh, or <laughs> who um, or Rocky Horror Picture Show who will dress up as Frankenfurter, Dr. Frankenfurter. I don't see it that way, mainly because I guess I was indoctrinated into um, I was quite a, at an early age. I don't remember seeing this movie for the first time. It is always just a movie that has always been around. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of hard to sort of go, really? Oh, yeah, pe people do go up, still dress up. They still celebrate this movie. They still want to see it on a big screen. They still kind of, um, it's still got that cult mentality. So that's, that's, that's amazing to hear, though. I, that makes me so happy because it, it was just a staple every Good Friday. I remember when I was in NZ last on Good Friday, they were still playing this movie on, on TV. It is, um, it, yeah, it is. It is such a childhood staple, uh, uh, just uh, not even just childhood, just a staple movie of mine. Yeah, that's interesting. It, here, I remember, we're going to watch the trailer here in a sec, but I remember uh, Wizard of Oz always being on TV the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And ah. so like N NBC would play this, this four-day block of movies, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so... And, and, you know, for four or five years, and I, maybe I have completely fabricated this and it just happened one year, but I remember doing this, like watching this year after year at my grandma's house. One night would be Home Alone. One night would be Jurassic Park. One night would be Wizard of Oz. And then one night would be another movie. But I feel like NBC would play these four movies, you know, every Thanksgiving weekend here in the States and Wizard of Oz was always on that Sunday night. Um, so Interesting. In yeah. In Z it was always the good the Easter weekend because we used to still have a four day weekend. So it would be Friday would always be the Wizard of Oz. Then um, the Saturday would be just whatever random movie. And then Sunday, Monday would always be um, Gone with the Wind. They'd always split it up oh. into two nights. Yeah. Cool. I've seen Gone with the Wind more times than I probably should have, surprisingly. <laughs> but yeah, for that reason, it was just always on. Yeah, I, I think that's great too because, like, mm -hmm. it turns it into a family tradition. Like, like, uh, you know, we gather around uh, my family for the parade on Thanksgiving, and then like we did that even as you know as kids watching the parade on Thursday. Then we'd go over to gr my grandma Joe's house and we'd have dinner, and then that that evening we you know we'd watch. I, I always think Home Alone was the first movie, like that Thursday, they'd always play Home Alone. But anyways, uh, so I, but it's just so cool that I think a lot of people like you um, probably don't remember the first time 
they saw the Wizard of Oz because it was just a part of life, right? Yeah. I, I remember a- having, yeah, I got into an argument with my mother when I had Good Friday last time I was there, um, watching TV, and then I've suddenly said, yeah, they're playing a movie, they're going to play the original Wizard of Oz, and then afterwards they were going to play the latest uh, Judy Garland biopic with uh, Renee Zellweger. And Dad goes, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing the, Zell- the Zellweger because he hadn't seen it. I'm like, that's oh, okay, but we should watch Wizard of Oz like it's Good Friday. And he goes, I don't think I've ever seen Wizard of Oz. And then I just exploded into a, what do you mean you haven't seen Wizard of Oz? I mean, it was on, it's on every single year. I think my dad just forgot. Um, and then my, me and my mother started fighting for some weird reason. Anyway, it turned into a family hoo-ha because my dad had a mind plan since he had never seen Wizard of Oz. And I was mortally offended. The man who turned me into a movie freak saying he hadn't seen Wizard of Oz. I was, I've never been more offended in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, let's go ahead. Lindsay, you and I are going to watch the trailer for The Wizard of Oz, and the folks at home are going to listen along. The house began to pitch. The kitchen took a slitch. It landed on the Wicked Witch. In the middle of a ditch. in Kansas anymore. It lands in theaters everywhere. For the first time, digitally restored. These things must be done delicately. And remastered in digital stereo sound. Well, that makes a difference. With all the songs. There's no place like home. The magic. I am Oz. Follow the yellow brick road. The fun. Follow the yellow brick road. Generations have waited to see the most beloved movie of the century on the big screen. And? Toto 2? Toto 2. We represent the lollipop kill. I'll get you, my pretty little dog, too. Put him up. Put him up. Put him up. The Wizard of Oz Special Edition. Digitally restored and remastered in digital stereo sound. You've never seen Oz like this. (laughs) Uh, Have you, of course, that's not the original trailer, but I thought Hmm. that was fun. Uh, Lindsay, have you ever seen this on the big screen? No, when you said they're playing a big screen, I have never seen this on the big screen. I have owned this on VHS, digital Blu-ray, not 4K yet. Um, but I have still never managed to get to a big I've seen this on a big screen and I feel left out. I feel like something is missing from my life, the fact that I've never actually experienced this on the big screen. Yeah, I as far as I know, I I don't think unless I went and saw it as a kid, I never I've never seen it on the big screen either. Um, you know, that uh, we have the Alamo Draft House here uh in the u.s and we have a couple in omaha and uh they always do these things called movie parties where you get props and like you you know talk along with the movie and that's fuck that i don't want to watch a movie that way that just i can't do it that way either yeah um and i'm like can we just like can you just show a regular screening of the wizard of oz where we don't have to fucking talk along with the movie and like throw shit at the screen uh, can we just enjoy the movie for the masterpiece that it is? Yes. Um, so, uh, 
to sort of guide us into our conversation, I would like, I'm going to read uh, something from Danny here, um, but I would like to start at the end of the movie. And I assume, like we were saying earlier, anybody listening has more than likely seen The Wizard of Oz. Um, and so that's why we're not going to, you know, sort of talk through the movie, you know, sometimes as, as we do in our conversations here, we're just going to, we're going to start right at the end. Um, uh, I want to preface this by saying Danny, of course, loves The Wizard of Oz, uh, but he brings up this point, which uh, when I first read this, I was like, get off, shut the fuck up, Danny. This is the, yeah. you're, you're on your bullshit again. And I love I when Danny gets on his bullshit. It's just like, oh, Danny. <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, I kind of agree with what he's saying here. So, like I said, he loves The Wizard of Oz. Allow me to read this, please. In the book, L. Frank Baum's book, very early on, Dorothy says, no matter how dreary and gray our homes are, we people of flesh and blood would rather live there than in any other country, be it ever so beautiful. There is no place like home. Significantly, in the book, it does not take Dorothy's experiences in Oz, which she looks back on gravely, to teach her that there is no place like home. She knows it immediately. But the film makes this no place like home nonsense the picture's major theme, a conclusion Dorothy somehow draws from her dream experience in Oz. And it is nonsense. The Dorothy we see in the opening scenes is an unhappy little girl who is lonely because there seem to be no children about. She has no parents and lives with a very unsupportive elderly uncle and aunt on a very barren gray farm. Her only real companion is Toto. When she returns to Kansas, she finds that Miss Gulch has not forgotten that she intends to get rid of the dog. The screenwriters overlook this fact. Once the Wicked Witch is dead, Oz, unlike in the book, is a wonderful place. Dorothy has friends by the by the dozen and playmates in the Scarecrow, tin, the Tin Woodsman, and the no longer cowardly lion, who, let's face it, are a much livelier bunch than the farmhands Hunk, Zeke, and Hickory. Let Dorothy stay in Oz, he says. Or, at least to show that Oz's specialness is fading in Dorothy's eyes, the color should begin to get duller as time goes on. Oz should end up in sepia, and Kansas should be brightly colored by the time she gets back. And then he quotes uh, Janet Junkie, a uh, uh, film historian and author. <clears throat> Excuse me. She says, <laughs> The ending is a total anticlimax. It states that this was all a dream, that fantasy is unreal and can only get you in trouble, and boring status quo existence is the right way to live. The moral is, there's no place like home. Blah! Or, oh, how sweet is how the audience feels. I hate the ending because fantasy is real, is necessary, and because home is not always the best place to be. Which is true, right? Uh, for for yes. many, many people. So, normally, I you know, I, I'm like, I wouldn't touch Wizard of Oz. I First of all, who the fuck am I to change any anyone's vision? Uh, but, you know, f for my 41 years, I've always 
said Wizard of Oz, perfect movie, wouldn't change a goddamn thing. And then I read Danny's saying, and at first I'm like, ah, eh, get off your bullshit. And then it sits with me. I'm like, I kind of like, and I now, granted, I I haven't read L. Frank Baum's book, um, but I kind of agree. Like, why would she want to go back to that place? Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on all of that loaded as it is, Lindsay. No, I've always kind of th thought that. I mean, yeah, Wizard of Oz is five stars, no notes. That's just how it is. But if I had the choice, I'd probably want to stay in Oz. I mean, and I've only read the first book like when I was like a kid. I don't think I fully grasped a lot of it. I remember being very dry. Um, and I don't think your parents are that loving. I think it's just like a bear because it was written in like 1890 or, or something. So her parents weren't exa exactly the most loving people on the planet. Or caretakers because they're an, 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 an uncle but as someone who has left home and is constantly i guess looking for that over the rainbow place um i would agree that she's happier she's more animated she doesn't worry as much i mean yeah she's got a <coughs> witch after her who's constantly cackling about a little dog too but she's actually more animated and happy and has people listen to her like she no one ever listens to her in in kansas they're always kind of demeaning her belittling her ignoring her well we have to give toto to this mean old lady who's going to put it down um and in oz she kills the wicked witch of the west she's a hero she has people worshiping her and she instantly yeah you're right she makes friends she's in more control over her own life in Oz, even if it is just a dream, than she ever was in Kansas. So I know in the, in the books, Oz is a real place. Like it's a tangible place you can go to and she keeps going back. In this one, I think MGM thought that audiences wouldn't be able to take the fantasy, fantasy element, which is why she goes back. And which is why it kind of feels like such like an afterthought. Like, when she gets back, it's instantly no place like home, no place like home, click the heels for a time, she's home, oh, everything's great, and then the movie just ends. Like, it doesn't really linger. All the problems that she had there aren't solved, they aren't anything. She just gets a new appreciation, I guess, for that sepia thing place. Um, so, no, I kind of agree with Danny on that. It doesn't hurt the movie in any way because that final scene is such an afterthought that I don't think it hurts the movie any which way. I I would assume this is one of the first, if not the first case of, um, oh, it was all a dream, right? And yeah. now, now it's like when, when uh, a TV show ends, you know, their, their finale, you know, I, I think of the, the series Roseanne, where you know or dallas Dan was it dallas that did it or dinas did it like the whole eighth season was such a, a, a appalling mess that they just decided it was a dream right yeah stuff like that and, and you know it it's uh so so many people now say it's such a cop out like it's such a dumb way to do things and and um i'm you know 50 50 whether it works or not um, but here, like I said, up until 
the point I read Danny's essay or reread Danny's essay today and like it really sat with me. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I love the it was all just a dream sort of thing. Um, but n now it feels sort of like a cop out. And I, like, that's such a ridiculous thing to say about the Wizard of Oz. Hello. Like you said, five stars, no notes. But it's like it was all just a dream. Eh. Like, I, I like the fact that w what if this was a real, real place that she could go to, you know? And then you have Stephen Schwartz, of course, in the uh, early 2000s who writes this musical, The Wiz, um, or not The Wiz. Um, uh, oh, Wicked. Wicked. And where, you know, it, Oz is an actual place full of real characters that, you know, we we get to meet these other characters, you know, on top of Elphaba and Galinda. Um, but, you know, I, I like, I like thinking that Oz is a real place. Um, and, but here's the other thing. I have written two musicals where it has that, it, it was all just a dream thing for kids to escape because they're in like scary situations at home. Uh, you know, one is in like a grief sort of situation and the other is um, um, uh, in like an abusive situation. And so they sort of escape to these places um, <clears throat> and then, you know, it ends with them coming back to reality and like, it's not a, it's not really a happy ending. I'm a fan of not happy endings. Like, oh, I'm, I know you are. Like you a, specifically hunt those out. <laughs> yeah, a huge fan of that. And and maybe over time, that's going to make me even love The Wizard of Oz even more. Because here she is back in, you know, the fucking Dust Bowl of Kansas. Uh, where, you know, she's just kind of on her own with this nasty old bag chasing after her, always wanting to kill her dog. Yeah, it's it kind of does turn it to that phrase. But I mean, I'm not going to mention the movies that do the it was all a dream. Well, just in case they show up in possible pairings. Um, but I will mention its sequel, um, but not a sequel. The Perusa Bulk, uh Return to Oz, which is the ultimate kinder trauma movie. Uh, me sitting down at a birthday party and going, oh, they made a sequel to Wizard of Oz. And then you see that movie and me just almost rocking back and forth but that treats that i mean actually it could be seen as both it could be seen as a weird death dream for dorothy or because she actually goes there after getting electric shock treatment but to keep talking about this place that she went to um and the fact that they hire only hire like a 10 year old parisa bulk is just makes it even more disturbing or she actually does go to this place that is an escape from the horrors of hardship and i think that's an important element to a lot of children's fiction and I think when you're a child watching this, that's what you see. When you're an adult, you know the place that's waiting for her when she comes back. And I think that is kind of the element of the genius of the movie is that this is a movie that will grow up, grow up with you. And I don't know if that was, that's probably wasn't even an intentional thing by the makers of the movie. Um, it was such a studio product of its time that it had, there wasn't, it was like so many cooks in the kitchen that's kind of a miracle that it turned out the way that it did. But it is, yeah, it is a movie that you, when you watch as a kid, 
all you're seeing is the child being the hero and she's in this amazing place. And then when you're an adult, you're watching this guy. Yeah, I love this movie. It's so freaking weird. And then but you're like, oh, yeah, but she's going to go back. Like, she's going to have to grow up at some stage, which is the sepia brown Kansas Dust Bowl that she lives in. Right. Now, see, I, I, I've already made the flip to this is a brilliant ending. It needs to end this way. In the, <laughs> yes. Back at home because that's the reality and reality is sad and depressing. And it so is. I, I, I've already flipped uh, while you were talking. You talked you talked me back into it. Um, OK, so you mentioned kinder trauma. Now, I haven't seen Return to Oz since I was a little kid. Just oh, you need fucking, to rewatch it. it like, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's one of those that like scared me so much as a kid. Where even at 41 years old, I'm like, I don't know if I want to see that again because it's too scary. <laughs> you know, the the wheelers always freak oh. me out, right? Are the wheelers the bad guys? Are those like the monkeys? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. Yeah, I remember walking down a path and there was this guy on a unicycle. For some reason, I thought it looked like a wheeler because I just rewatched it. It was on Disney Plus. I went, you know what? Let's see if this is, a, yeah, this is as terrifying. <laughs> um, and I almost bolted the other way. I was like, nope, nope, not dealing with, with wheelers at all. Um, but yeah, it is um i know wizard of oz gets attributed to kinder trauma which is weirdly as a i was a wuss i never got the flying scare of the flying monkeys um but yeah wizard of oz the return to oz holds up in the worst way since oh, that's weird. <laughs> the best and the worst yeah because uh, i remember i always i i consider the the wizard of oz uh kinder trauma for me because it, it just it scared the balls off me the you know margaret hamilton as the witch and then the monkeys and i still think the like watching it today i was like god those in 4k on hbo i was like god those monkeys are fucking scarier and shit like you see that oh god the, the makeup is so great but they're so scary but margaret hamilton you know she she carried that with her for years like people were scared of her because of that and of course she was just a such a sweet woman and you know she does that appearance on mr rogers where you know she explains you know it's just a character that i was playing i'm not really that way and so i think that really helped a lot of kids and and probably even some adults that were still sort of scared of her but i remember just being terrified and having recurring nightmares about the witch and about the monkeys um and even even the guy, uh, one of her guards at the end, the one guard that talks, he's like, you know, you, you, you killed her. You killed and then her. He, yeah. He's like, I, again, it's the makeup that is just so great, but terrifying to me. Um, and so every time, and I'll watch The Wizard of Oz every couple of years, uh, because it, you're exactly right. It has legs. It grows with you. It never ages. Um or, or it does age, but it ages with you for yes, the yeah. better, right? Mm. Um, and I love that about this movie. And so I, anyways, I watch it every couple years and I still can recall those feelings of fear that I had as a kid watching this. Um, even today, just sitting, watching The Wizard of Oz, Again, a 40 or one year old man just, you know, and now I wasn't scared of Margaret Hamilton watching it today, but I could recall those feelings. Like I, I knew exactly how I felt, you know, 
30 years ago, 35 years ago, the first time I saw it, whenever it was. So uh, when somebody says, you know, the this, this movie, The Wizard of Oz, is their kinder trauma, I'm like, oh, preach. Like this, I completely understand that. No, I, I get it. It's just, this is the look, every other movie gave me kinder trauma. Like I was such a wuss. I, I mean, I had to go hide when my brother and sister were watching the Incredible Hulk TV show with Lou Ferrigna. Um, I couldn't handle, as soon as I heard the don't make me, you don't want to see me when I'm angry. I was like, I am, I'm out. But for this, for this movie, I never got it. I was fascinated by Margaret Hamilton's performance, which is probably why I love witch movies. Like, um, say the witches from uh, 1990, um, the Roald Dahl adaption. It's, I was always, I mean, there was a few moments where in that movie I went, oh my God. And when you first see Angelica Houston, but then I became obsessed with Angelica Houston after that movie because there was something about the witch that I was drawn to. And I don't know why. So, and plus a movie that has that so much, to goes to see theater so much color. I don't know, kind of put me at ease a little bit more than say watching any other children's movies from the 80s which were almost felt like they were designed to put your kid in trauma <laughs> um it was a well time in the 70s and 80s for kids movies you're just going wow they would never do that at any point like i mean i know you introduce your kids movies to a lot but even introducing your youngest to say um return of oz i don't think you would even do that to him is <laughs> it was a wild time um but it yeah so it, it put me at ease and i knew everything was going to be okay and i don't know why and i think it's the way they use the technicolor or the three stripe technicolor that they used in this one um it's um like i know i love when people say oh but the first time they used technicolor I'm like no nah, they've been using two three tones since the, like 1919 it's just this was used the best way possible right um that you think it's the first time that it's being used it's but yeah i was never never i'd never not i'd never felt that dorothy was in any real danger even though Clearly, she is. I mean, she's been kidnapped by flying monkeys, um, which is a weird thing because I watch anything else and I'd usually run out of the room. But for some reason, Wizard of Oz made me feel safe, mainly because I probably just wanted to go to Oz regardless. I was like, "Yeah, get me there. I, 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 I want to go where where the yellow brick road is." Yeah, that that's the man. That's so strange. I love how mm. you and I had completely different uh, experiences as as children with this movie because. As much as I uh, loved sort of the, you know, the, the world where she meets the munchkins um, and, and now watching it now as an adult, I'm like, that's kind of creepy. But as it a kid, really I was like, is. oh, I, you know, I, I love this place. I want to be in munchkin land here and the yellow brick road. I want to travel with her. But as she travels along, I remember... Uh, Every time she would come upon, you know, first the scarecrow and then the, the tin woodsman and then the the lion, I was so scared. Like, be, because she, there was this girl, and they don't explicitly state her age in the movie, but, you know, in the book, she's 11 years old. So, you know, she's a kid, right? Like, Judy Garland is 16 years old yeah. at this time. So she, I mean, she is still a kid. And so this kid is traveling on her own. And she comes upon these strangers, these things who were not supposed to freaking talk. <clears throat> and even the trees, the trees yeah, aren't supposed to talk. And they, like, they, yeah, everything. God, everything in this movie just scared the, the piss out of me. And even when she gets to the, you know, they, they start going across the poppies 
and she starts, you know, she gets tired, falls asleep. Like, even that scared the shit out of me. And it's not until, so, so at, at the beginning, I'm sort of unease in the sepia toned world. And then she's in this, she's caught in a twister. And, and as someone who grew up in Iowa with, you know, we had, we have tornadoes all the fucking time in the summer. I was going to say you grew up. Do you still live in a uh, tornado alley in Nebraska? It, or it's, it's not tornado alley, but we get plenty of tornadoes. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, as a kid, when I was six years old, we, we had this, a terrible F4 tornado that came through and just oh, ripped wow. apart my town, ripped apart my grandma's neighborhood. So like, you know, firsthand experience that stuff. So that was always scary to me. And then she goes into this world, this munchkin land, and I love it. I'm happy. And then she's off on her own. And as a kid, that was always the scariest thing to me, like being on my own without my parents, without a guardian, um, was just so scary to me. And this kid, this child having to travel and like, you know, she's on this mission. She's traveling to see the wizard and she's by herself. And then she comes upon these freaking things, these inanimate objects that are not supposed to be talking. And they end up talking. And it took me a long time, several watches as a kid, to be comfortable watching Dorothy, this other kid, my peer, traveling with these three strangers (laughs) oh okay that makes sense as a kid i was that kid who would just wander off i wasn't like those kids who needed a leash um (laughs) but i was one of those kids that i would go into the next aisle and suddenly get okay i can't see mom where is she or i was the kid that um there's a story that my parents my brother my sister is a my brother and sister always tell about the time that my parents went to the airport, my brother was meant to be watching me, but he slept in and snuck his girlfriend's in because he's quite a bit older than me. So I decided to just walk out and try and go find my parents. I just walked out and walked down the street. I was missing for like three hours. I just remember coming home in the cop car. Um, like, I think I just got picked up by this random, thankfully nice neighbors, but it was, I was, me being on my own never, has never bothered me to it does you're a kid you want friends all that kind of thing but i'm fine with doing things on my own like that's kind of always been almost like a natural thing for me so see dorothy do that it was almost like a um oh she can do it so yeah i'm not i can know because i can do that so she can do that so that's fine she knows where she's i mean i have the worst sense of direction so there's a possibility I would have left the yellow brick road and gone off somewhere weird, but um, she was like an extension like, of of Lindsay. Yes, it yeah. is, and it was kind of cool in that fashion. And I think because I kept seeing her do that and a few other things, my dad traveled so much um, when he was younger. Well, that's all I wanted to do. It was like, okay, I've got to go to Oz. I've got to go to Oz. And I think that's kind of where it started with this movie. It's. I don't live in my home country. I don't even live in, I don't live in my hometown. I don't even live in my own country. Like yeah. I moved over an ocean. So it's, I think, it, and I don't think it inspired me. I just think I just recognized that, oh, you can go somewhere else. Like you don't have to stay in the same place. And I think that movies do that all the time, but it was sort of more of a, um, just a reaffirming of, and a lot of kids' movies do this. It's not like kids' adventure movies, they always go somewhere else. They, I mean, because of this movie, most kids' movies are about a child in one place going to another place and having an adventure. I mean, 
it's still such a staple of children's storytelling. And in, definitely even Balm was not the first person to do that. I mean, we've right. got like Alice in Wonderland, but it is, um, yeah, now that you were just talking about that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's maybe why I wasn't scared. Cause I was just like, going, oh, I know I can do that. I want to do that. Like, that yeah, I have me, to deal with a witch, but yeah. Th- that makes me curious to, uh, because I've, I've never really had a conversation with anyone about the Wizard of Oz in this way, how it affected us as children, how we saw it as children. And even again, like as I was rewatching it today for the hundredth time or whatever, you know, I still have sort of that uncomfortability about her going off on her own, especially as a parent now. Like, yes, uh, you would, because you, you're like, no, do not do. Don't. Yeah. Child, don't do, God, don't do yeah. that. Like and like, you know, I, I, Glinda, as good as she may be. It's like you're sending this child off on her own for God's sake, woman. Glinda is very flighty. She always has been, always will be. She's like, oh, okay, just go over there. It'd be fine. <laughs> oh yes, there's another bad witch. She's even worse than the last one. We're gonna have to deal with. Yeah, she's um. I like how they interpret her in the musical because you can. It's got that flightiness of just not really worrying about anything that she really should be worrying. Things that she should be worrying about. <laughs> yeah. It. Uh, so. I man, that's that's really curious. Um, I uh, oh shit, I had lost my train of thought. Um, so something remarkable about this movie um, is that every single song in this movie is like you know if it's not a top forty hit it lives forever in our heads. They're all standards. Yeah. Somewhere over the rainbow. Um, you know, I, being a jazz musician, uh, I played that on many a gig. Um, but even, you know, the, the, the chant of the guards of the wicked witch of the West. Oh, we, we, like my dad would always be humming that he was a graphic artist and had a sign shop in our basement. And I just, Remember, we'd be my brother and I'd be playing out in the sort of living area, and he'd be in his shop, and I could hear him, like he'd have Mm. this, you know, kind of uh, beat, so he could work along, you know, Mm. doing his painting and everything. Um, But like every single melody in this movie will forever live in our heads, which is remarkable. Um, So. Do you have a favorite song from The Wizard of Oz, Lindsay? Uh yeah, I'm basic. It's gonna be somewhere over the rain over the rainbow. It um I'm always surprised how quickly, even though I've seen this movie a hundred times, I think it's always surprised me how quickly we get to that song. Like it's five minutes in. It's just a little bit of setup to show you how sad she is. And before you know it, she's singing about lemon drops uh floating over chimney tops and it blows my mind that someone wanted to cut that song out of the movie. Like there was discussion that the song shouldn't start until she's in Oz. And it's like, no, you need the I want song. It's, it's perfect. I know even Judy Garland was probably haunted by this song because she had to sing it. There's no way she could not go through a concert without singing this song. Um, it, no one would stand for it. And she had a whole bunch of other standards that she could go to that she was famous for but a song which always made me think of what it's like being a child star as you mentioned home alone and being remembered for something so strongly 
that you did when you were a kid. You weren't even a fully formed person. And Kevin McC- uh, Macaulay Culkin's always going to be Kevin McAllister. And, yeah. you know, a cheese pizza just for me. Or um, and Judy Garland for singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's, it's, it's yeah, that, I mean, imagine being, I'm 42 now. And to have people still mention that song, that thing, that's something I did when I was 16, I'm like, okay it, it'd be such a weird thing but yeah. that song is just it's perfect like it's a perfect song can you imagine uh shirley temple singing that being in this movie like she shirley temple was was also considered for this role um because she was you know the child star at the time um like there's man there's no way like her voice, and I, I'm not really a big Shirley Temple fan. My grandma made me watch a bunch of her movies when I was a kid and fucking hated it then. And I've watched a couple in the past few years. And it's like, meh, you know, she's whatever. Uh, but like, they're very Judy, cute. Yeah. But I've yeah. only seen like one. I can't remember which one, but, but like, um, Ju- it, Judy it was Garland, very cute. she has that, uh, I mean, the voice, of course, the voice, but she has. She's a movie star. Two things. One, she's just uh, adorable. And, you know, the older she got, just absolutely smoking hot. Uh, But two, she has, it's not really a lisp. I don't She has a very distinct voice. You know how, like, when you hear Winona Ryder talk, you know it's Winona Ryder. Like, she has, she, I... You know, just however she kind of forms her mouth when she says these words, when she says words, uh, like you just know it's Winona Ryder. Uh, Judy Garland has that whatever it is. Like I said, it's not a lisp. It's not it's not a speech. impediment. It's just the way she kind of forms words and the way they come out of her mouth. Um, Make her so unique and memorable that. You know, the, the roles, this, um, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis. You know, those two especially are like nobody else. Nobody else could do She had a deep voice for a, even when she was 16. And I haven't seen any of the Andy Rooney movies she did with, um, what's his name? But even as a 17, 16, 17 year old and oh, she has a kind of a very deep, yeah, like Winona Ryder, like if you ever watched Beetlejuice, she's got a very deep voice. I think she was on the 13 when she did that movie. Really? She's 16. She was young. young. Yeah, right. Yeah. I know Winona, uh, Winona was quite young when she, when she uh, broke out. Um, and same with uh, Judy. She's got this kind of deeper voice and it kind of, like I was, I went through, like everyone does, went through an obsessive stage with Judy Garland because she has such a fascinating and tragic life. Um, And it was just, they kept talking about how this little girl had this adult voice, especially when she sang. Like when she started singing at 10, it was just fully Judy Garland voice. And that's why she got the contract. That was why she um, sort of became as famous as she did. But you're right, the way she speaks is so unique and just so... It doesn't sound like a 16-year-old yet when you're looking at her. She's adorable. You can tell she's a kid, but the voice doesn't quite match the the, the body almost. It's, yeah, it's very see, unique. That's, uh, you know, only 
in the past, say, 20 years did I learn that Judy Garland was only 16 when she made this movie. I, I could have sworn she was, you know, mid-20s because of, you know, sort of the timber of her voice. Um, you know, she... Yeah, she looks young, but, you know, you always figure, okay, uh, stars of movie stars of the 20s, 30s, 40s, the women, they always made them look younger. But so I always assumed she was in her mid-20s, but, um, you know, I she's just so, I don't know, she's so confident mm. in this role uh that in i by no means am i a judy garland expert i've only seen you know four or five judy garland movies uh, yeah she was, wasn't a competent person in real life i mean that's one of unfortunately just because how she was treated she was very wrecked with this little very little self-confidence but when she's on screen she is just magic it's it's kind of a weird like, she's one of the actors i probably know a bit too much about because i'm like i shouldn't know this much about it because it kind of saves everything <laughs> right yeah so, so like when she's singing somewhere over the rainbow she's singing as this child who wishes she was somewhere you know more colorful happier safer blah 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 um but the voice that with which she is projecting is is this adult voice and when she's you know trepidatiously stepping out of her house after landing in oz um the way she uh when they get to the wizard's place uh just sort of the way she carries herself is so uh it just seems so self-assured and confident and i i think that's a mix of judy garland the actor uh and the character of Dorothy that she's finally like, as soon as she steps out into this colorful world, she, she feels a little safer. She feels a little more confident. And, you know, I, I don't know if that was ever talked about with Victor Fleming or George Cukor, whoever the fuck was directing at whatever specific time. King Vito, um, there was like five directors on this thing. It's exactly. Um, so I, I don't know if that was ever a conscious decision or if that was just Judy Garland, you know, being Judy Garland. But the way it plays to me, as soon as she gets to this new place, as soon as she gets over the rainbow, you know, she's holding her head a little higher. Her chin is up, you know, her chest is out a little, you know, she's standing straighter. She feels safer. She's more confident. Um, she's not afraid of these fucking things she comes across that end up talking to her, the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion. Yeah, and even the munchkins who are singing a whole song about how they're glad someone's dead. I mean, every single time (laughs) I watch it, I'm just like, there's a song when they're singing about someone being so superiorly, morally, really dead. Like that, that, there's a whole song, Ding Dong, which is dead. Like I used to sing that top of my lungs constantly. But there's a song, yeah, that, that, it makes it better. It makes it weirder. But, and then, yeah, come and that watching it like on a really good thing, noticing the makeup, especially on like the Scarecrow Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion is insane. I mean, and to look at that stuff up close would have been. Scary. I mean, to work in Hollywood in the 1930s. Okay. So let's, let's get, let's get to the boys. Uh, yes. F- first of all, 
Uh, just oh, I didn't quick. ask you what your favorite. I didn't ask you what your favorite song was. It's uh, it's it's the sort of medley where the Munchkins are all introducing themselves. Ah, yes, yes. Um, just because I probably from childhood, you know, we I mean we were constantly singing these songs, but my brother and I would always reenact, you know, especially the Lollipop Guild, right? And the Lollipop Guild is right. so great. <laughs> um, okay, uh, who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite of the of the three? When I was a kid, it was definitely Cowardly Lion. As I get older, it is Tin Man. Okay. What about you? Um, I think it's always been the Tin Man. And it's because Jack Haley, Jack Haley, Jack, right? Jack, yeah. Mm-hmm. Haley yeah. has just like the friendliest, most angelic face. Even, you know, uh, in that horrific makeup, out of that make like he just seemed like such uh and again i don't want anyone to destroy uh my perception of who these who these men were because i i don't know any of their backgrounds me neither i don't want to know their backgrounds because i know how men were back then and i like to pretend these guys were just perfect gentlemen constantly anyways jack haley just so I don't know, he just looks so lovable. And I would like to say, I feel like Tin Man kind of gets, you know, sort of like pushed aside at the end of the movie. Rewatching it again today, I felt the same. Like, I, I feel sort of this empathy uh, for the Tin Man because he is, uh, as the wizard and Dorothy are about to leave. He talks about the Tin Man first and then just sort of like pushes him or, or Dorothy says goodbye to the Tin Man first. Mm. And then it's like we forget about him. Then she moves to the lion and then she ends with the scarecrow. I understand she ends with the scarecrow. I'll miss you the most because, you know, they spent the most time together. But I was like, well, why is the lion second? You met him. He should be the first one you go to. He's the one you know less of yeah it's you're right the tin man does get a little bit short-sighted a little bit and jack Haley has really kind eyes which i think is really important because they originally i mean this movie's famous for it's the behind the scenes but they originally cast the guy who would go on to play jed clampett in the beverly hillbillies and him and makeup is terrifying like him i mean i know he got sick from it i don't quite know if it was exactly lead poisoning but he got a really bad reaction and to see him in that makeup, I'm like, no, 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 absolutely not. That 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 is kind of trauma right there. But um, yeah, Jack Haley in that makeup looks so kind, and he's got the sweetest smile. And I love his "If Only I Had a Heart" oh. version out of the other two. And when he's doing the, yes. the, the the, it's got the coolest dance. They're using the the noises of the the posture of it the of it perfectly. Yeah. yeah, he's really great in this. It's it's so sweet. Yeah. Now. I, I will say, I think my dad, his favorite was Scarecrow. And as I was watching it today, like I saw a lot of my dad in the Scarecrow, which was sort of nice because, you know, he's been gone for uh, 11 years and or yeah. 10 years. And, and so it was kind of nice watching this because uh, I can't remember the last time I watched The Wizard of Oz by myself where I could just sort of like completely invest in the movie and just get lost in it. And so when Dorothy gets him off 
his his post um and you know he kind of does his ray bolger does his you know his physical antics and everything um he sort of has this nose and i've talked about this in the past but like my dad had this hook nose and uh, right yeah. like Ray Bolger could be a distant relative is, is all I'm saying. Like there are a lot of similarities in the looks there. Um, but it, you know, I, dad would always sing, uh, the scarecrow part. If I only had a brain just, you know, constantly. And, and, um, he would reenact, you know, his dance and everything. So it was always fun watching that. Uh, but yeah, there's something about Jack Haley, you know, he had this twinkle in his eye, even under that, that hor- horrifically oh. uh, heavy, heavy aluminum makeup that he had to wear. It's almost like you could see, you could still see his rosy cheeks. You that. could. Right. He does, his whole face lights up, which is hard because we, this time I was really just focusing on the makeup, which yeah. when you're looking at the flying monkeys, it's horrific. Um, and I mean, they even probably painted a couple horses, like the, the horse of a different color, which I'm just like, don't paint horses. Stop it. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, but it, but when you i mean when you're looking at the scarecrow his uh um roy bulger's makeup it kind of feels like it's painted on this kind of mask D- did you did you notice um, yeah uh, uh, with with the scarecrow makeup uh yeah it, i i don't think it's paint it looks like it you know it's this like rubber no, it's thing something stuck on right yeah. but it it's on his eyelids too yes oh my I god Oh. Okay, this is 1938. You're in a studio. You've got hot light <laughs> on you. This is not like these are not. Um, I mean, yeah, working on the hot lights when you're an actor and you're constantly having so much makeup on you, so you don't sweat because actors aren't allowed to sweat. Um, <laughs> and especially if they're kind of in a movie star kind of role like like this movie. But you're just looking at them going, and even the lion's makeup. You've got this kind of lip thing that goes over oh, his face yeah. so he can talk. But then he's got this whole again, this whole thing stuck on him and. The main kind of, I think, Clyde's where the where the edges are, so you can't see it. So I'm constantly kind of, kind of looking for the where does this thing end? And are they Sarah? Is it on his eyelids? Is, oh my yeah. god! And apparently the makeup was intense, like it was very uncomfortable. And Ray Bolger is throwing himself around like he's um, singing "Make Him Laugh" and and um, oh yeah, singing uh, in the rain, yeah, singing in the rain. Like he's like falling down hard, yeah, and it's it's yeah and but when you're watching them looking at the makeup in the makeup on the flying monkeys and some of the the guards and stuff it's it's stuck to their face and everything had to be peeled off them and i'm just like oh, god. oh my god that would have been that would have been horrible <laughs> yeah like looking at bert Lair's makeup as the line he's got the like these like bag these dark bag things yes. and it just it just looks kind of gross but you know this shit is like glued onto their face with like you know with uh you know spirit uh, spirit gum or whatever and it's like uh, i think just, even ray bolger had marks on his face from it even oh, after I, they stopped i can't yeah. remember who it was i think it was ray bolger actually had lines on his face around his oh mouth. god how terrifying yeah it's um still after like years after filming wizard of oz i mean well, I mean, oh it, my god! And you know, I'm sure this was there was some lead involved in this makeup. You know, oh, there you, was definitely lead involved in the um in the Tin Man. They had to change it because poor Jim Clampett, when he was Tin Man, got an allergic reaction to something. Yeah, yeah right. 
Well, you you, <laughs> th- you think about the the Bond movie where the woman is completely painted in gold, like it suffocates you because it's you yeah. know it's covering your like your skin cannot breathe because your your pores are completely covered, and it's just oh it's so as great as it is to see and as well as it works like it it's also just as terrifying thinking like what is this shit doing to these men yeah <laughs> what is it doing to their skin <laughs> no um i looked at a few photos because i know that they had to reshoot some a few parts because dorothy was going to be a blonde and they kind of baby doll they kind of made it look like shirley temple in the original photos it looks really creepy she looks like a bit sexualized i'm like that's not what dorothy is dorothy's right. meant to be I mean, Dorothy can be is an adult and a child in the same body, but it's and right. um, apparently with George Cooper, they just went, no, she's just leave her as a brunette. Like, um, we're still going to pat her breast down because apparently she was, you know, um, seven year olds get breasts. And but it is uh, but he was the one that goes, no, 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 just let her be herself. Don't put contacts on her. Don't change her. And which was good. But everyone else still had to go through that same makeup process. It looked would have been, it looks amazing and I love it, but it looks horrendous what they put those actors through to, to yeah. get to get it done. It's like, oh my god. Um, have let's see, have you have you read the book? Did you say? Did we talk about that? Yeah, I was a kid. I was about ten or twelve, and okay. I don't know if I finished it or not. It, I remember it being very dry. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think M.M. Baum was a very dry writer. I do know the world is a very, the book is a very real place. They changed it for the movie to make it all a dream. Um, but it kind of does, from memory, is a feeling of an adult trying to write down to a child, not quite like other good children's books, which are writing on the child's level. This is kind of, it felt like I was being talked down to a little bit. But again, I was 10. And obviously, sure. I pretend to 10 year old to think that. But it, um, yeah, I think something about the writing didn't I didn't work for me, but because it could have been older writing and I was 10, so. Is, does the Wicked Witch of the West deserve her ending? Oh, I, I say this as an adult now that loves witches and, um, <laughs> Again, feels like a weird afterthought. Just like, really, water? That's it. Um, no, I think she has the right to be angry. They did just kill her sister, and everyone's really not paying that any kind of seriousness, even though her sister was a horrible person. Um, and she doesn't really want to hurt Dorothy, but she just wants the shoes. So it's no I, I like the witch i think she's not exactly in the right but to have her melting Cronenberg style seems a little bit excessive do like i don't understand why is she so wicked what has she done and i understand this is a movie so they can't like go mm. into the whole why exactly she's wicked and maybe they do in the book i don't know i haven't read the book it's like what she has a right to be pissed yeah. This this girl just fucking dropped her house on her sister. Um, so I don't understand like yes, I, I think her motives um are all wrong, you know, kidnapping a child. She's not well, I guess 
in the movie, she kidnaps Dorothy, and the only way she can get the shoes is if Dorothy dies. So she's going to kill Dorothy, which, yes, that's wicked. Yes. Up to that point, though, why is she wicked? <laughs> it's, that's, it's, it, in the universe of the movie, it is ugly women are witches, and beautiful <laughs> right. women are good witches. Which is a very simplistic thing, but it kind of fits in with, I guess, the hag and the virgin, I guess. Um, Reading way too much into that. But yeah, it's just, in the universe of the movie, she's awful. She's going to kill Dorothy for the shoes, even though Dorothy could have just taken... Well, she's not going to get home, but who wants to go back to Kansas? Anyway. um, yeah, I've been to Kansas. Nobody wants to go to Kansas. (laughs) It's... Yeah, so I think... In, in terms of a storybook story where you have a green-skinned witch, I think in that universe, she's just bad. Um, but when you're watching it and you're growing up and you've seen Wicked and you've listened to the soundtrack multiple times <laughs> and you've read the book, <laughs> slightly obsessed with the whole Oz thing, um, you realize that there's probably more to this that people have kind of folded into the mythology way more because i think there is possibly a wicked adapt film adaption thing i think it's been in development since coming the production came out but it's it's coming right and that kind of gives more dimension to the wicked the wicked witch but it is um yeah so i think this has just been unfolded in over time you asked me when i when i was a kid i would have gone because she's bad she's green that that's how you know she's a bad she's a bad person um, which is when you get older and you realize how storytelling works and the visual shortcuts that we use, where you're like, well, actually, when I look at the whole, she's not that bad until she really makes the decision to kidnap Dorothy and says, oh, I'm going to kill you. Then I'm like, okay, now we've gone a little too far. The harassment I can kind of deal with, but this gives step driver a line. You know what? Um, yeah. kill, kill the kid. It's fine. She killed your sister. I get the revenge aspect. The dog, yeah. though? Come on. What did the dog do? Leave the they dog Everyone, Everyone keeps threatening this goddamn dog, and Toto was adorable. I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> the dog is innocent. I, I, <laughs> plus, I, I, oh, I, I, I just saw a movie that one can't, and there's a scene with a dog, and I'm like, they've done something to this dog. I don't know what it is, but that dog, they've given this dog drugs to this dog's eye. It's meant to be wrong with it something wrong with it and i'm like going, what did they do to this dog stop doing no don't do this to dogs leave the dogs alone <laughs> i love it when uh margaret hamilton pops up and i of course she was a uh uh a very good actress yes you know outside of the wizard of oz but you know like whenever she pops up in a movie of course I love, like she i love when she pops she, up on other movies it makes me so happy she's like, she's <laughs> instantly <laughs> recognizable right yes. um but she, you know, she's so funny. I think uh, she's in um, that movie "You Only Live Once" by Fritz Lang, with Henry Fonda and Sylvia Sidney. She and is. She, like, like she just pops up, um, real quick as the owner of a boarding house uh, that the that the couple's hiding away, and and she kicks him out. But like, you know, it's just like these these little roles, or she's a housekeeper. And uh, guest in the house, this noir from 1944. Um, and, you know, it's it's just, I don't know, I, I love seeing her pop up. And, and if anybody hasn't seen her little thing when uh, that she did with Fred Rogers on his show, 
um, back in the seventies. I think it must have been. Um, it's very very sweet. You can find it on YouTube. Um, you can. It's it's adorable. Just the way she comes in, and you can see all the children just go, nope, nope, yeah, right. Like, and then she kind of takes the makeup off and explains. It's it's so great. But that reaction when she walks in and the kids are just looking at her going, absolutely not. Like right. it, it's incredible the power she had. Like they, it, they instantly all knew, nope, danger, do not like this at all. Right. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to uh, s- sort of start winding the Wizard of Oz conversation down here. Do you know anything about Lynch Oz coming out this year? The documentary about David Lynch's obsession with wizard wizard of oz excuse me no i have heard about this movie for a couple of years i'm dying to see it i i should have taken the chance when i knew it was playing at the melbourne film festival and i didn't um but no it is pretty much looking at um how david lynch has just pretty much remade the wizard of oz with nearly every single one of his movies yeah yeah which i can kind of see actually yeah and see, I, I've never thought about that. And, and I didn't know about his obsession until uh, I heard about this documentary just recently and started thinking about his movies. And I was like, oh, shit, that is insane. I love um, how, you know, in in the in his movies, you can kind of see these relationships. So I'm very excited about checking this out when it finally comes out to the to us, uh, you know, peons. Yes. Uh, uh, later this year. Um, Lindsay, any final thoughts on the wizard of Oz? Five stars. No notes. It is. I could talk about it for hours, but at the same time, it's a hard movie to critique because it's just a movie that's always been with me. Like, I think it's just been with a lot of people. I would be very surprised if there's like, there's a lot of people who just know this movie, like they know their hand. And even if it's not their favorite movie, it's still a part of them. It's, it's, so ingrained in our pop culture that yeah it's i mean we're not in i don't think we're in kansas anymore it's just yeah well yeah the, uh, yeah it's it's it will forever be part of the zeitgeist yes uh, i was looking through some some friends letterboxed uh ratings which again don't mean anything really but i was surprised to see like there's some people like at two and a half stars three stars three and a half stars i'm like Okay, I need to hear your understanding because, like, why, this, this is a five star movie. Like, how is it not yeah. anything other than a five star movie? Yeah, yeah, it it really is just a five star movie. It is perfect in execution. It came out in one of the best movie years ever. Um, though I actually haven't seen a lot of movies from nineteen thirty nine, so I should probably change that. Um, but yeah, it is. It's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, um, I'm looking. Let's see. Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, which I haven't seen for years. Um, Stagecoach. Uh, you still need else? to see Stagecoach. Wuthering Heights, which we'll be covering at some point on this show. Um, yeah, wow. Some some good. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Roaring Twenties is actually pretty amazing. The Woman. Oh. Only ha- angels have wings. Oh, Destiny Rides again. That's actually really good. Young Mr. Lincoln was that John Ford? Yeah, geez. Mm. That, yeah, you're right, boy. That is a good year. Mm. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on to some pairings here. We're gonna do uh, two each. 
And uh, I'll be honest, I kind of had a hard time. I know I say this every episode. Everybody gets sick of it, I'm sure. No, um, I really had a hard time. I get it. It's just like, I could just pair this with anything. <laughs> I mean, really, you could. Yeah. And and I I tried, uh, I'll say right now, I tried watching a movie today. It's called I Escaped from Devil's Island. It's a Corman production with uh, Jim Brown and Christopher George. <laughs> and I thought maybe that could be a, a fun sort of schlock and awe type of pairing. That movie sucks the most ass oh, it's no. like it's so bad not a christopher george movie <laughs> i know yeah and he's even billed as chris george oh wow um yeah, yeah i mean is you know corman his mm. producer hands were all over it and just it, it it was sloppy and the editing was terrible and you could see really it taking the up. money away as the movie went on yeah. exactly yeah so mm. um so i kind of had to call an audible as i normally have to do and uh, and I substituted in another sort of schlock and awe style of pairing, uh, but I'm excited to get into this. So why don't you uh, why don't you start us off with your first pairing recommendation? Okay, I wasn't going to choose this one, but the more we've talked about it, the more I actually kind of want to pair it with. Because my strategy was to kind of pick different elements of the movie and then pair those elements with another movie. Um, to try and do the whole was just too hard. Um, but I am going to go with. Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird from 2017. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah, it's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. What she did was very baller, was very anarchist. Put the magazine back! <laughs> You're not interested in any Catholic colleges. No way. I want schools like Yale, but not Yale because I probably couldn't get in. <laughs> you definitely couldn't get in. Wait, sit down. I'm not tired. You were dragging your feet. You are so infuriating. Oh, perfect. You love it. She has a big heart, your mom. She's warm, but she's also kind of scary. You can't be scary and warm. You both have such strong personalities. If you want to read it, we can go down to the public library. I want to read it in bed. That's something that rich people do. We're not rich people. I love it. Is it too pink? Bird. which is a movie that is totally set in kansas until the end but it is about this young girl played by saoirse ronan um and i knew i was gonna love this movie because this has this teenager and the girl with her mother in the car they're driving and she goes i want to go where the culture is and i was that up an octopus teenager yeah um i didn't throw myself out of a car but i probably thought about it <laughs> and my mother just rolling her eyes to the back of her head going oh my god my child um but this is a girl who's trying to make her life into oz and is and i know greta goeg is a huge fan of this movie um if you've ever seen barbie it's like screen written oh, almost God, all yeah. over it yeah. yeah that i love wizard of oz and it is about this girl trying to turn her life into oz and failing at every single point and when she does get spoilers she wants to go to new york to go to university she gets there and she realizes that she misses her home of kansas even though she knows that it's not her but there's a nostalgia thing to it um because she's realizing she's never going to be happy no matter where she is spoilers for ladybird but it is i'm a greta Gerwig girl so um i'm never going to hate anything she makes yeah and i really like this movie i love shersha's performance performance in it i think it's um gorgeous as this just she is such a teenager she's trying to act older than she is and 
unlike Judy Garland, is failing miserably at this because she is a young girl. She doesn't know the world, doesn't understand it, and um, is trying desperately to be an adult. And it is, but this one, the movie does not. She doesn't, she fails at every point and is constantly buffing up against the reality of the situation to her great annoyance. But I do, I do love this movie a lot. Same. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, I adore this movie. I'm a, I stan Greta Gerwig. Um, I enjoyed Barbie. It's not like, mm-hmm. I'm not going crazy like a lot of people are, but uh, you know, she, she's you're, a you're fucking, not Ken enough. <laughs> no, she's a fucking phenomenal director, but yeah, I love Lady Bird. I remember seeing it for the first time. I went to the theater by myself and like theater that was maybe half full and there was a seat separating me and this this young woman and um i'm a movie crier i cry all the time in movies and i'm not ashamed of it um so i'm i'm sitting in the theater and like i cried a lot during ladybird and she uh oh no it wasn't a i'm i'm thinking of it was like this you know a woman maybe 10 15 years older than me and so after the movie ends, she gets up and she hands me, like she reaches into her purse and hands me a Kleenex. And I was like, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like sort of a motherly sort of moment. Yeah. Um, and so like, of course, I come home and I rave about it. I'm like, Bobby, you have to see this movie. I, it's incredible. It totally blew me away. Mm-hmm. And we eventually watch it when it comes to streaming. And she's like, eh, that's okay. And I was like, God damn it. No, it's not <laughs> just okay. It's brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Greta gets me in a way. She, there's something in always her movies where a character does something and I feel attacked. Uh, happens in Barbie, uh, especially at the Pride and Prejudice 90, series 95 joke. I'm like, how dare you, Greta? Um, and I can't remember the exact one. There's probably like several in Little Woman. But Greta Gerwig, I was looking at this kid going, oh, crap. She catches this really annoying teenager really well. I'm like, I think that was that annoying teenager. Yeah. Um, that was that was me. I was that pretentious. Um, but yeah, it's just a stunning movie. I think all the performances are great. I think it's really funny. I think um, a lot of people broke out of that movie. It's it feels so. I mean, Laurie Metcalf is phenomenal in that movie. She reminds me not exactly of my mother, but kind of the relationship I did have with her when I was that age. Um, that I was the one making it more combative than it probably needed to be because she was just trying to get through the day and yeah it's it is a masterful movie and i yeah as i said i I don't know if i was able to kind of do the perfect pairing because i don't know if that's possible with this movie so i'm just choosing little elements no i like okay you know this element fits with that this element fits with that you're exactly i I never thought about this ladybird like launched four young actors like yeah stardom saoirse beanie fieldstein timothy chalamet and then lucas hedges like that's yeah crazy and like this yeah. before they were like nobody knew who these kids were. Jesus, that yeah, is everyone, insane. Everyone looked at Timothy Chamelay and went, That is the um he's not quite a goth boy. He's he's a glam boy. That's the glam boy. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's made a career out of it. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> right. That's great. Love that movie. Love that pairing. Um, okay, I'm gonna start off with my Schlock and Aw style pairing and um uh it's 1982's raw force big john taylor 
mercenary, soldier of fortune. He's more than a man. He's a walking death machine. Candy O'Perrin, sexy undercover cop. Her deadliest weapon is her body. Mike O'Malley, Hollywood's top stuntman. What do you want us to do? Fight our champions. Only this time, the action's for real. And Rick Chan, black belt, primed for action with one blow. The death blow. Only two words describe the power and fury of this unstoppable team. Raw force. Join them as their carefree vacation cruise turns into hell on the high seas. What was that? Final port of call. Warrior Island. Uncharted and unexplored. We should not be here. Burial grounds for martial arts masters from the past. Their resting place is defiled. They rise from the dead to avenge their honor. Who will win? The living or the living dead? Join John Dresden, Gillian Kesner, Jeff Benny, Raymond King, and Cameron Mitchell. As they band together with the incredible power of raw force, untamed and unleashed to kill. From director Edward D. Murphy, Raw Force is, is like the action horror movie. Is this the Cannibal Monk one? Yeah, Cannibal Monks, yep. Fuck, this is... Um, Jeffrey, oh. Jeffrey Benny is on a mission to like, they have to go to this, this sort of like forbidden Island that has like these cannibal monks and they practice magic and they have like zombie Nazis and like martial artists and like, like all the, all those sort of bad people who are like, uh, almost invincible to kill. And they have to go and, and rescue. I haven't seen this for a couple of years, but, um, a Hitler look like and his gang are running a female slavery operation on the island as well. Soon the two, okay, so the two groups meet and um and so like you have the these great, these great exploitation action sequences, like these martial art sequences. Um, there's piranhas, uh the like the makeup, the special effects makeup is really good. Uh it it's is, a yeah. it's a very silly movie. And so that's kind of why I was like, I, you know, Wizard of Oz, it's, it's not like a super heavy drama, but like, you know, it's, it's a fun movie, but let's just go buck wild. Like, so if we're going to watch Wizard of Oz, that's at eight o'clock and then uh movie ends and we take a 15 minute break. By this time it's past 10. Let's throw on some raw force. It's perfect time to it. Yeah. But in the movie where a man round kicks a jeep and I'm pretty sure loses. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, super fun movie. I got the Blu-ray so from, from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, th- I thought that was fun. That was, that was my audible pick. Um, I had that one in, in the waiting just in case this other movie didn't work out and it did not. So, uh, you know, Wizard of Oz and Raw Force. It's a, it's a good pairing, I think. 
that's a really good pairing because they do go somewhere else. It's insane. They just keep adding things to this movie. I mean, yeah, it's a Hitler lookalike with a slave trade going on. But then they add these cannibal monks in there for no reason. And it's just like, I haven't seen it for a few years. I need to rewatch this movie because I remember watching like Jaw on the Floor God. I think it was when I was first getting into exploitation. And I was just like, someone made this? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I, um, I need to I need to rewatch this because it was a good time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let's hear your second one. Uh, okay. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to keep with the action because I'm going to go for it is, it was all a dream uh, thing, but I'm going to go for, actually, you can call him a schlockmeister. He's a, mas- he's a master craftsman and one of the great directors, but he does make amazing schlock that represents so much. But I'm going to go Total Recall for Verhoeven 1990. Please fasten your seatbelt. This summer, welcome to Mars. Let Arnold Schwarzenegger, Quaid. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. And who's talking? Show you a side of Mars that no one on Earth has ever seen before. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You think this is the real Quaid? Total Recall. It is. Rated R. Starts Friday, June 1st at a theater near you. Yeah, was it all a dream? Was it not? Who knows? Who cares? It's this has got heads coming out of things and weird nipples and cab dri- robot cab drivers and going to Mars. It is great science fiction. These Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, in a movie that, looking back, feels like a really he made that interesting. Um, I think it's because it's Paul Verhoeven and just made was a really is a really good director that you kind of forget that this is a guy who liked to kind of do schlock and like to kind of push people's buttons um you just did it really well like uh i love raw force but paul verhoeven is he made three of the greatest science fiction uh, science fiction movies ever made uh total recall robocop and um oh I'm blanking on i'm gonna call it's not better because um all the uh, dead bug is a, only good bug is a dead bug oh starship um, troopers starship troopers and but this one is wild. It's got so much imagination in it that, um, as I said, you can pretty much compare any movie to Wizard of Oz and go, yeah, see, it works. But this one especially, because it is a guy who's out of his element, but instead of like, you know, going through the yellow brick road, he goes to Mars and kills Sharon Stone. So yeah, that's, that's I'm going with Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> I love this because it's, uh, you know, we always think of Arnold as this action star, Predator, Commando, Raw Deal sort of thing. And like this, you know, he he kind of plays, uh, you know, an every man thrown into extraordinary circumstances. And, and I love when uh, he plays it every man because I'm like, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. What's going on? Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah he is. He man. is. He, yeah, he is an every man who's thrown into extraordinary circumstances. He doesn't know what's going on. He has no memory, and it's just a process of him trying to remember. But at the same time, I love Heather Hoven because um, I haven't read the original short story or novel from Clark. Is it? He wrote type of recall um i i don't know if it's ever sort of alluded to if it's a dream or if it's not i haven't seen the remake so i don't know if they kind of allude to that but you never know in in total recall whether if this is a reality or if this is he's still in that total recall machine and yeah. that's what i love about it like he purposely just keeps like uh, changing what the perception is yeah i'm not a i'm not a big science fiction reader uh so i've never read any of philip k dick but i feel like i probably should because i i am a big reader 
Um, and I try to at least check out, you know, all the, all the big authors. And so I think it's probably time I, I check out some Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I've only ever read, uh, do Android Sheep Dream, oh, which was what Blade, Blade Runner, Runner was yeah. turned into, was turned into. And so that's the only Philip K. Dick I've read. Uh, so yeah, I've only just started to get into some actual proper science fiction in terms of reading um, with Anne Mackie and a few other modern authors like that. But no, it's been it's a record. It, that movie rules. Sweet. Yeah. Super fun movie. Um, okay. So uh, just today I watched a new movie. This was one that I was hoping I was going to like so I could pair it with. And it turns out I do like this movie. Um, it's been on my watch list for a long time because, uh, Susan Tyrell is in this movie and I want to see every movie Susan Tyrell is in. Susan Tyrell is in this movie for like two minutes, but here's the thing. This movie. Susan Tyrell there. (laughs) Exactly. This movie is full, like every other scene or not every other scene, every scene has a recognizable character actor in it. Uh, this is a movie called Motorama. Ah, the open road. It calls to everyone, but it's no place to kid around. And Gus isn't your ordinary kid. He knows a man has to go. Want to play with me? Beat it, kid. Where a man has to go. I play Motorama. Spelled out Motorama, grand prize of five hundred million. Motorama, Gus, come on in. Just how did you make enough money to buy a fancy set of wheels like that? I sold my stamp collection. But there's more than one game on the road. Hey, old pirate. Old pirate. Billy, you say win. Win. <laughs> I thought you said you were going to let me win a little bit. I lied. Loss builds character. You don't have a girl with you, do you? No. He plays Motorama. <laughs> Say, mister, can we borrow your backseat for a quickie? I've got a long way to go. Martha Quinn, Garrett Morris, Michael J. Pollard, Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Drew Barrymore, Meatloaf, and introducing Jordan Christopher Michael. Motorama, the ultimate road odyssey from the writer of After Hours. Fill her up? No, empty it. From 1991. 91? 1991 from a director called Barry Shills. Um, and Oh yes. I need to see this. I have, I know this movie. I just haven't seen it yet. Barry Shills directed a, a documentary, which I haven't seen, but has been recommended to me called Wigstock, the movie. Um, and he directed another documentary. Those are the only three things he's directed. This movie is one of those types of movies where you have to see it to believe it. Okay, so there's within the and I was paying attention to the time within the first three minutes, 
there's this 10-year-old boy who is out in his garage and he's fashioning something out of wood and metal. And in the background, you can hear his parents screaming at each other. So he's he's from this sort of, you know, abusive house, home, and um, steals the family red Ford Mustang and just goes out on the road. And he starts collecting, he's he's hitting these gas stations along the highway, collecting these these cards that are a game called Motorama. And it's a game that never expires, but nobody is playing. And what it is, you collect these cards, and they're like just peel-off cards, and you need to try to spell out the word Motorama. So you need an M, an O, a T, you know. And so he's traveling cross-country, hitting up all these gas stations, and uh, around every corner, whether it's at a hotel or a gas station or a diner, he comes in, and the guy pumping gas or the guy, uh, the clerk at the front desk or the the waitress, the bartender is somebody. Susan Tyrell's a bartender at this bar that he goes to eat at. Um, you have John Deal is uh, one of the first gas station attendants. Martha Quinn works at a bank. Uh, John Laughlin. Um, Jack Nance. Speaking yeah, of da- say- David Lynch, uh, Jack Nance is yes. uh, work, works at a hotel. Michael J. Pollard, Flea, Sandy Barron, Mary Warnoff, uh, Garrett Morris, Drew Barrymore, Meatloaf, Dick Miller, of course, Dick Miller. Um, the ultimate bad guy. Yeah, right, exactly. And so this it's this 10 year old kid. He's by himself. He's driving this car. Uh, the things that he was fashioning at the beginning were these sort of uh, little stilts that so he can reach the pedals of the car and like you know he comes across cops uh one of the cops played by um uh shit who was the um uh, robert picardo is a cop oh, sh- but like like never questions like where are you why like, is he, this 10 year old yeah he's he's <laughs> never he's never like pursued uh or like chased down like where are your parents sort of thing and um and i don't want to spoil like when he when he finally he does get all the letters and that's all i want to say this movie is i don't know if it's a a kids movie it's a kids movie for my kids but it's a hard r there's lots of swearing Mm -hmm. um but like it's it's sort of like um uh oh what what did my letterbox review say let me see um one of these movies, so it's you have to see it to believe it. A character, character act around every corner. It's Willy Wonka, Escape from New York, and Albert Pune, and then whatever you know, masculine fueled childhood dream you have, all woven together for this tapestry of a movie. Like, I don't know who it's for. I don't know how it got made. Who the fuck paid for it? Uh, but it's this one kid there are no other kids just this one kid a lot of people compare it to home alone a lot of people say that it was sort of this weird response to home alone Mm. because it's this kid having to survive on his own i guess i don't i don't buy that at all uh but this kid jordan christopher michael he's been in three things he's he's phenomenal he is Mm. so good and he acts like he's he's not 
I don't like Judy Garland in the wizard of Oz, how I was saying, like she projects herself as an adult, although she's playing 11, she's really 16, but she's, she projects as an adult. This kid acts like, I mean, obviously he's a 10 year old kid, but he acts the way he talks, the way he carries himself, just like a young adult. It's crazy. Like, you know, he goes into Jack Nance's hotel and says, I'll take one room. Jack Nance doesn't question about it. You know, Jack Nance says, the only thing he says, if you see any squirrels in your room, give them to me. They're mine. <laughs> so, you Very know, it, David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, it's like this weird fever dream of a movie. You don't know what's real, what's not real. It's sort of this post-apocalyptic world. But, you know, it's it's not. He's just driving cross-country on this lonesome highway. And it is so weird. Uh, but really entertaining, and I mean, you you just got to see it here in the states. It's you can stream it on Prime. Um, there is no Blu-ray, unfortunately, which is uh, it deserves a Blu-ray, but I'm not surprised it doesn't have a Blu-ray because who like who made this? <laughs> it's crazy. No, you can also yeah, you can also rent it in Australia on on Amazon Prime as well. Oh, perfect. Which yeah. Is, yeah. So you can get it. This, yeah, I think Dirk Marshall from VHUS recommended this to me, and I still haven't seen it. But cool. It when he was describing, it's like, what is this movie? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this sounds one. It sounds absolutely perfect for The Wizard of Oz because it's got that again, piling things on top of each other. It's this amazing odyssey, and no one's questioning what that why this child is doing anything. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and unlike The Wizard of Oz, I'm watching Motorama. I, I wasn't like concerned for this child's health at all you know i i wasn't uh you know upset that this kid was off on his own um it's just it's man it's a it's a wild movie so highly highly recommend motorama no i do need to see this is this has been on my watch list and i need to get around to seeing it because it looks amazing ah there we go we did it Lindsay. you helped me wrap up season yes. number five you helped me wrap up the entire the first, first book. book yes crazy now I, can I can't believe chuck... you've done the first book. This is insane. This is a huge. <laughs> I can just Anthony. chuck, chuck um, the thing it. into the fire now. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, man, uh, for anyone that has stuck around for 100 movies, I appreciate your support, your help, your uh, listenership, spreading the word of this show. It's all, it's not about, you know, me. Uh, sorry, Lindsay, it's not about you. It's about Danny Perry. It's like that's, not about that's, that's That's all we're doing, like. It's yeah. all about just spreading love for Danny, for his writing. So uh, you can still, you know, go out, find his books on eBay, used on Amazon, check them out. Um, but uh, before I spout off my stuff, Lindsay, hit them with the links. Uh, yeah, you can find Shlokanor on all the pod thingies. That I think that's what the technical term is. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can either follow me on Reading Geek on all the socials because I've pretty much I've got an account on every single one of them or uh shock all one is where you can find me and uh this show can be found on twitter and instagram at cult movies pod uh you can find me on twitter instagram and letterbox at ak donnelly that's a-k-d-o-n-e-l-l-y and uh check us out on patreon.com backslash cult movies podcast um we may not be releasing new episodes for the next couple months here but over on patreon i'm gonna have i'm gonna have new stuff for you over there so check that out um so that's it we'll be back in 
you know, like I always say at the end of the season, four, five, eight, 12 weeks. Who the fuck knows? Maybe a year, not a year. It'll probably be, a, you know, closer to two months. Uh, it's when I start getting that itch. I want a podcast again. And so you've been working really hard on these the season. So, yeah, you definitely deserve a break, sir. Uh, and for anyone listening to this, you know, uh, in a year or longer, uh, just listen to the next episode because yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have like a hundred more to listen to. So I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next books because I'm like, what else does he put in there? <laughs> I should actually, I can look that up if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I, I've got the list all put together on Letterbox. I can't wait to, uh, well, you know, well, t- the next episode you'll hear Lindsay and the boys. Yes. Yes, right? Lindsay to, and the boys will be back. <laughs> to, to kick off uh, season number six. Another, so. Probably doing another Western, because that seems to be our way at the moment. Well, if we're... <laughs> I'm going to kind of push, because I think we're going to come back in October. Yeah. I might push the first couple episodes to be in the horror genre. Don't have to push me that. Don't have to push me too hard. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 see we'll see how it goes. But uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thanks, Lindsay, for helping me wrap it up. Oh, thank you for having me on and, and talking about one of the greatest movies. Thank you. 